I know now that we never get over great losses. We absorb them and they carve us into different, often kinder creatures. Gail Caldwell. Bending, Not Breaking. Season seven, episode two. Cora Alone. Welcome back to another episode of Ending Night Breaking. I am Sunshine. And I'm Ben. And, and we back. have an episode today. This uh, is so prior good. to watching this, I didn't remember how just how juicy this episode. Like, there's so much to unpack, and we only have like an hour. And so <laughs> we don't have a lot of time for what is arguably, I'm going to put it in it easily in the top 10 of all Absolutely. Avatar episodes of all time. And um phenomenal episode uh, and so let's talk core alone but before we do that to and to do it well we've got to bring in some extra folks in, in to help out and so ben can you tell me who we've got with us today i sure can y'all we have a, a friend of the pod who has just deigned us with their presence given us another opportunity to have an incredible conversation it is my pleasure to welcome indira eudofia back indira Beer, 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 beer. There it is. There it is. What? Um, we for those of you who have not heard, third co-host at this point. We're just we're just uh, you know, locking well, in for all of the rest of them. Yeah, you know, it, you know, as as much as as I can, I love talking about my queen. Uh, but I especially love being here today. So thank mm. you, thank you so much for inviting me. This is. This is the one to bring me in on. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Uh, so for the last time we checked in with you, we were like, doctoral candidate, we're here. And then you were like, uh, not Clay. But I, I think we can officially say that today. It's doctoral official. It's yes, I am. Official. I am waiting on IRB. We are all but dissertation. It is. It's it's wonderful over here. <laughs> We're almost oh, done, y'all. That's incredible. Oh, so I'm close. so proud. I'm so proud. Uh, maybe no. one day that will be. Who knows? I have to graduate my master's programs first. We'll see. <laughs> and I am never going to grad school ever. So <laughs> we can't speak in absolutes, but like passing it around for a good six months. Pretty sure. We're pretty sure. You know, good for you because you know. Uh, grad school is a lot like this episode, so oh, cool, just... <laughs> cool, cool. Oh, constantly seeing there. dark shadow versions of yourself and and being scared all the time. Great, love it. Just constant trauma. Okay, a little good to know. <laughs> good, good to know. Well, well, this it is a meaty episode, and so probably should just jump into it. But before we do that. You know what's coming. I don't want to. 30 second recap. I want you to, though. You know, I think All it's right. really lovely. Um, okay. And whenever you're ready, I, I can go ahead and give you a countdown if you want. Put, put the time on the clock. Let's do it. On your mark. Get set. Go. Of course, he's a dark version of herself in the alley or shadow version of herself in the alley and tries to fight it, 
but it disappears. And then we cut back uh, to three years earlier when she's leaving Republic City. We get to see her go through a healing process with Cora. We get to see her continue to grow and struggle with that. And then she finally starts sparring people and realize she's still getting beat frequently. Uh, she goes and on a little journey throughout the Earth Kingdom uh, and gets beat up some more. Uh, finds a way into a uh, underground fighting ring, goes in, uh, gets led into the swamp by a spirit, and meets Toph. Boom. Yeah. It's always well every time you all do this. I'm always amazed. I just oh. try to say what, what happens in 30 seconds, and it's uh, Cora gets beat up a lot this episode, and then meets Toph. That's... <laughs> <laughs> How do I narrow so this? I start, I, start, I start with that framework and then I work outwards of trying to say what to can get I throw to 30 in. Seconds. I love it though. It's always amazing. I'm like, wow. You heard, it it from, you heard it from the winner here, y'all. The one who does the 30 second recaps best. We should just have Sunshine do it from now on. What are y'all eh. wrong? Wrong. <laughs> I We're mean, I like the when wealth. you try we to are, get there. Sharing the wealth. <laughs> like when you try. <laughs> oh no. Oh, no, right. you do great. Both of you do equally as well. So I'm not doing it. So that's all that matters. <laughs> all right. Here. All right. Okay. I got, I got, I got, I got, I got. So okay. one of the things that's, we haven't really talked about the lens we we're diving into this episode with. We've, we've talked about how like intense it is, but we haven't really landed on how we're going to be talking about it and the lens through which we watched. And so Indira, can you tell us about the lens you chose and then give us some background on what it means. Yeah, so I chose the lens recovery. Um, I, first of all, there's so much in this episode that points to a lot of different ways, but at its core, this is a example of what post-traumatic recovery looks like. Um, mm -hmm. We see so much in this episode of Cora navigating stages of grief. Um, we see so much of Cora navigating identity post-event. Um, and so much of that is tied up in what we think when we're thinking of trauma recovery. Um, for those who don't kind of know, trauma is just any type of event that has had an impact on your physical, emotional, or psychological well-being. And so when we're thinking about um, trauma's impact on the thing, it not only like impacts our physical stuff with scars and bruises as evident by Cora's kind of physical presentation during the episode, but then there's these emotional and psychological lingering prints, right? Um, I often liken trauma recovery to getting an, getting getting size for your eyeglasses for the first time. These events are the things that cloud our vision and make things blurry that we're not able to perceive things as equally or as freely as we can. And so what we are seeing is Cora getting an eyeglass test to understand how she can see the world differently post this event. And what's interesting about that too is that it's this is a a, a long process, right? And it, it's not something where like, you know, you get tested, you check your eyes, and now all of a sudden I can see more clearly. It's like the like this is one of those things where like this happens over years, right? Mm -hmm. And um it's really fascinating to think about how um this example 
shows us that recovery isn't just a like light switch on off. Like I'm recovered. Great. We're, we're, we're all better now. That's not how it works. It's showing us that it takes time, um, which is really, really fascinating. Yeah. I think that's what makes this series so beautiful. This was makes this season so beautiful. And this episode, because we do not get a resolution um, at the end, there's no not nice night, this nice neat bow and I even think Cora has this expectation like once I can walk I am fixed once I can you know uh fight I am fixed and it's like no this this is going to change how you're moving through this world all together um and I think that is at its core why this episode is so indicative of the recovery process so, so I I'm I'm Recovery is a, a loaded word for me. Um, I have a lot of questions around this because if you look at the you know textbook definition for this, it's a quote return to a quote normal state of health, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of questions around that because I'm not sure I buy into it. Um, I, I think that's not necessarily what recovery has to be. Right. And so I'm I'm curious if you could speak to that and help us kind of grapple with the idea of what's the 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 uh, I guess connotation of most mainstream believing like that you can get back to the exact place you were beforehand. Right. And uh, does that make sense? Can you? Yeah, you, no, because you, you never that? get back to who you are. That's what's a, normal. That's also, no, there's no normal. What is right. normal? Ah, like. I think when I am using or evoking the name or the term recovery, I'm thinking of it from the a thing of a return to discover who you are, right? So mm-hmm. it is, uh, you know, it would be like a rediscovery, right? Um, and so that kind of post-traumatic repair or post-traumatic recovery is about how do we come back to understanding, defining, and reinterpreting ourselves post this event. Um, Who, you know, as someone who has a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, um, I will never be the person I was before experiences of my abuse. I will never, that Indira that I was back when I, before I was in that relationship, that Indira that I was before I encountered, you know, the harms that I've encountered, I couldn't reaccess that person even if I tried, right? Because that, and this is why I use the eyeglass test, something about that has fundamentally shifted how I see and move through this world. I will always have an altering of my vision and my perception post this event. It it is it is completely warped the field, shaped, you know, whatever language you want to use around the visual field. Yeah. I'm a lot sharper. I'm a lot tender. I'm a lot more sensitive to certain things. And so part of my like recovery or repair process is giving myself permission to be reintroduced to me, right? Mm-hmm. Who is this person now that I've had this event? Who is this person now that I've learned the lessons that I've learned in healing from this event? So even who I was at the start of the injury 
is far different than who I am five, six, seven years post-event because I've had to relearn, grieve, and reimagine myself multiple times over and over again during this healing process. One of the things that I really love about the definition that comes from the textbook is not the initial one, but the secondary one, which is not one that I was looking at when I initially thought was when I watched this episode. And the secondary definition is the action or process of regaining possession or control of something stolen or lost. And that action, the, the process part of it was one that I was like, oh, my God that's that's it like that was the thing that resonated when i was able to watch this episode was that process part of it um and i think that that's a super important differentiation between just like oh returning to normal like no it's that process and learning of growth to get back something that was taken from you through that traumatic event um and so i i I love seeing that was the first time i saw that definition for recovery and i was like yeah that's the one yeah. And I, I think that I, I, I'm actually going back to the opening quote that we utilized. Like, you know, it's not that when those losses happen, we then regain and then we're back to this quote normal. It's the the way that they worded it was we absorb them. They carve us into something different. And, you know, often in after a quote, the the whatever we're calling the recovery process we we often emerge with more wisdom, more kindness, more empathy. Um, which is really an interesting like conundrum and that's not at all to condone getting, Hey, Hey, everybody go get hurt so you can recover. But like, it's one of those things where it's, it's really interesting to, to think about how recovery processes, processes shape us. Uh, I'd like to liken it to this idea of, if we think of our psyches, heart, energy, soul, whatever language is indicative of like a total, a totalizing landscape of self, Right. When in, when harm happens or when trauma happens, right, going through the process of recovery and repair, right, means that you, what you're doing is assessing the landscape of your heart, right? And so one of the things that I've used in trauma and like my trauma work is instead of us just navigating the grief cycles from, you know, the kind of crib cycle of assault, of sadness and depression and loss and bargaining, I asked them, how has grief changed the cartography of your heart, right? Like if you were to draw a map of what your heart looks like now, what shifts have has the process of harm and grief caused to shift the landscape and I think this episode is a great example of that as Cora is in the spirit world walking around trying to kind of uh, reimagine her relationship to the spirit world now that Rava is no longer present (laughs) it's just so beautiful oh god so so let's dive in. There's a lot of meat and not a lot of time. And so let's <laughs> let's jump in straight into the conversation. Yes. Um, the first question that, that came up for me as I uh, was watching this episode is the cutback to the three years when we see that she is leaving this community that she's built these people. And, it, and I don't know if it's because of this, like, you need to be with family, you need to be home. Uh, but I found it very strange that for her to heal... The advice was to leave this group of people that you have bonded with and loved. And so what how does community and the community we create lend itself to the healing process and to that recovery process? 
So I think it's both, right? Like I think, and this is this is why I think Cora's process lasted longer than probably it should have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because community is important because they are mirrors, right? That reflect you back to you. And also you have fundamentally shifted. So part of the grieving process or the recovery process is being able to articulate what this new you looks like and what your new needs are back to your community so that they can care for you and show up for you in ways that are effective, right? I think some of the kind of old expectations and the reason why Cora had to leave is like, in order for me to be able to communicate to you what this Cora needs, I've got to actually figure out who Cora is now that I don't have this thing, right? And so there's something special about being able to go back to the ancestral lands from which you came, to the waters of the temples of your familiar in order to wrestle with what has fundamentally changed, right? There is, her friends only know her as avatar Cora. And as much as we understand and we can respect, right, that they've only seen, they don't know Cora, Cora in diapers, right? My mother is able to see me in a way that all of my seminary homies and friends cannot. It is just a thing, right? There are just certain things where my mother can literally listen to something in my voice and be like, what's it? What's what's wrong? Right. My brother will call me and say, like, I had a tingling. You your your mind is doing something. What's going on? Right. And that's that's something that sometimes people of family of creation, unfortunately, because they've met you in a certain season, may not know that part of you, right? Um, And so while family of creation is important and they can hold space and do the work and give you attitudes, there is something beautiful about being able to be reconnected to the lands and the practices of of the temple of your familiar to help you get back to you. It's It's just one of those things where like, there's no right or wrong way to handle things. And for those who don't have or whose connection to our families of origins are severed, it does not mean that then you don't have processes to heal. I want to name name that because home is complicated. Cora can go back home because home is not a complicated narrative for her. You know, other people, home is 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 the site and source of injury. And so they need to leave and create sanctuary and the aces in other places. And so I think, you know, there's something beautiful about that though, that if you can go back to to where to people who know you before you were the best idealized version of you, it's a beautiful thing to be able to kind of reimagine together what that looks like. I also want to go to the, that you said both, right? It can be both. And I, I think that we see Cora needing both over this, this episode, which is again, a, a three, three year span of time. Right. Um, and I, 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 the thing that really stuck out to me and Dira and what you were talking about was this idea of Cora doesn't, 
I don't, and I think it's not just that her friends in Republic City, her community in Republic City doesn't know her outside of being the Avatar, but I don't think Korra knows herself outside of being the Avatar. Absolutely. Um, and this injury, this this process has essentially taken her Avatar capacities away. Uh, she can no longer reach the Avatar state. She can no longer reach Rava. She's no longer able to do the physical requirements that the Avatar asks and begs of its, you know, body and so it's it's one of those things where like i think she has experienced profound grief and loss over who she thinks she is mm-hmm. um outside of being the avatar and so it's really interesting to to think about like i think there was a lot of shame in staying with that community and i think it hurt more for her to be present with them knowing that the story she was likely telling herself is that i'm no longer who you know me to be um and so i i think there's just a lot of pain and sending her away probably offered her a little bit of respite from that it's almost like this entire episode she is chasing that normal that we talked about that doesn't exist i'm getting back to the normal even though that might not even have been the best version of cora right like that like she's trying to get back to that spot um and that's it's not possible you've been changed forever Mm-hmm. Glinda from Wicked, whatever it might be, like you've been <laughs> changed, and and there's no going back. But that doesn't mean you can't be better than that version. That doesn't mean that you can't be healthier than that version, or, or that this new you that exists isn't possible. Um, but that's what she's trying to latch on to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to talk to: Do we think that Katara does a phenomenal, or non-phenomenal, or like messy, or bad job of like supporting Korra through? that initial healing process like what are the things that katara does that like yes latch onto that or no like throw that away and don't do that to someone i think i think katara is an example of how sometimes katara i think katara's kind of interactions with Korra represents how helpless helpless we can feel in co-journeying with someone through trauma we have practices and insight. We can offer compassion and care, which she does. That's wonderful. Mwah. If the person is not ready yes. to commit to the process of letting go of what their roadmap to, of healing looks like, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the kind of like anger, I think Katara does a good job of holding anger, but even as someone who's like a therapist who like tends to hold a lot of people's anger, you know, I can see like, there's moments where I'm like, ah, I I can see Katara wanting to fix this and forgetting that this process, that being a conduit of, of healing means that you don't fix the things. You're just a container for the things to be fixed. Um, so we, when we were talking about lenses, I originally almost went with the redemption lens because of this idea of, a another cartoon that I, I had watched Wendell and Wilds. And there's a moment in the scene in which, um, there, they have to go into what's called the redemption chamber. And in this is like, literally the protagonist is used, is understanding that her wounds or her traumas right have to be embraced in order for it to not poison her being right and so that kind of harrowing process 
is very akin to what we're seeing, right? Because as you said, that chasing back to normal, there's a reason why Avatar, the Shadow Avatar core has chains on it. It's a prison, right? That warrior is actually the thing that entraps that would that what that would be the thing that imprisons her forever in her own mind. And so being able to not kind of liken it to let's get you back to Avatar, right? Let's let's the function is to get you back to being the Avatar and more about I'm just here to hold space for you to figure out who you are. I think that is kind of partly where Katara kind of falters is because in in and of its core I think everybody has the hope that they can keep the avatar alive and instead of focusing on if Korra could never do it can Korra be okay so I I want to actually ask about this so the specter that is avatar Korra um, the shadow avatar, whatever language we're we're utilizing here, I'm 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 curious as to what we really think that is. Um, what where is this like? Because I I think you know a a layperson might see this and be like, Cora's crazy, right? Cora is seeing people. Cora is it right? And um, I find it really intriguing that the other spirit animal can see it as well. Um, and that changes like, oh, I'm not, that kind of changes what I think this is. And so I'm curious for, for both of you, really, like in your eyes, like, what is, what does this represent? What, what is it? I'm, I'm, so so I don't know if I have the answer to that, but I, the one thing I do love about this moment is how powerful it illustrates when someone else can validate what you are going through, life-changing, like, like life-changing, and so like that is that that moment right there is just like, oh, oh, beautiful, beautiful. Other answers? No idea. That moment? <laughs> tears, right? Like, but I love your honesty. Like, I have no idea what that's about, but <laughs> <laughs> love, love the validation I experienced. You know, I've, I've thought about this um, and I've kind of posited, I've even played with musings in my journal I don't know if it'll ever manifest as an article but you know one thing we know about Cora is Cora only has one way of knowing how to to navigate adversity and that's fight her way out and I think the the shadow avatar or the shadow point or the poisoned avatar right is talking about the poisonous nature of fight only right like it is the poison nature of the warrior way right that there that this is something that you have to not only gain some awareness and acceptance to but you can't fight and battle it because it's a part of you this this season right this portion this guilt right that is chained to what the avatar is right that has been locked or loss is not something that needs to be combated, but maybe something that needed to be embraced. And so I've always thought of it as Cora facing all the old ways to which she has fought her way through and understanding that that way is not, she's not that person anymore. 
she's not the same warrior. She's not the same person. So every time the old way or the normal, the old normal that she's chasing rises up, she's battling it because she realized that she can't be that person anymore. So one of the things that I'm thinking about and like with this too is there are like talking about this with someone else is like, it's no wonder that Cora's like, I'm not going to like, do you see this? Like she's not, <laughs> like, there is no, um, there's a lot of stigma around seeing things mm -hmm. um, and delusion. And it's one of those things where, you know, I'm, there's a lot of possibilities. This could be a, a, a chemical symptom of having poison in her blood, right? Mm -hmm. This could be a manifestation of biopsychosocial um, manifestations of the things that she's processing, right? And it could be, there. There's there is a suggestion here that there's a spiritual component to this, right? With something spiritual being able to see it also. And so the for the people who have eyes to see it, it's one of those things where it is present to be seen. And it's one of those things where if you're not aware and present, it's, you can't see it. And I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about the metaphor here of when you are both cognizant of what's going on and you can see what's going on from an outside perspective and the difference of being not knowing what's going on and seeing it and having to figure it out and process it on your own. And it just reminds me of like a, a therapeutic alliance in a way of like, Hey, I see this. And like, you, you see this and then having to both kind of navigate how to like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I can only lead you right into the swamp you have to follow and you decide right it's this really interesting like metaphor for me there of um what can happen when you like see quote someone you know mm -hmm. and you know I think part of this is why it's this is my favorite episode because there's like a lot of different types of like fantasy mythos that have similar um similar kind of iconography like only those who have touched a certain aspect of harm um violations or death can see death right um and so this is a very similar those who those who have been traumatized right or who have experienced the hardships of trauma knows trauma when it sees it we know when someone is activated we know when someone is we know how it presents and manifests itself. So it's easier for us to be able to see things that maybe someone who has not experienced the same level of harm or hardship experiences. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot about the fact that in the spirit world, right, they have seen all types of horrors, <laughs> right? They have seen, un they have seen the best of things and the worst of things. And so it's not confusing why the spirit person, AKA spirit dog sees what's happening in ways that people who have not had that type of moral injury have been able to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So, which kind of brings me. So here's a question. The spirit pretending to be a dog some might call it deceitful some might you know that that illusion how does that play into the healing process like 
does the do the ends justify the means and lying to someone to get them to a place that may be beneficial or how do we feel or is the process important too and in, in that 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 trust being broken isn't beneficial to to building a healing or uh or leading someone to recovery and so how do we feel about that because not that might that's the one place for me where i'm like eh. <laughs> and they even address it in the show because they're like well would you have come if i wouldn't have done that and she's like fair <laughs> but i'm like is, is it is it fair and i don't know I'm, I'm rumbling with that yeah i think so i laughed at that point because there are some times in the therapeutic process right where we scaffold certain types of interventions to get people to a stage of acceptance or readiness to change. So sometimes my clients have, you know, laughed and been like, Hey, you, like you, you tricked me (laughs) into touching this thing. I, I, I thought we were good. And it was like, we were always going to be here. Like whether or not you knew we were coming here, we, I've, I've talked to you about consent, you know, and we're not going to, we don't have to touch you know, touch it all the way, but we were go- always going to the swamp. The swamp is where we were going. Um, now, whether yeah. or not, <laughs> whether or not you choose to journey in the swamp, now that I've led you to the borderland, is on you, right? There's still agency and choice. As soon as we realize, like, hey, we in the spirit world now, it's time for you to go to the swamp. Core could have been like, absolutely not take me back, take me back. And that would have been well within her right. But I think sometimes we don't know where we're going. Um, We don't know, if we don't know the outcome, we won't be prompted to make the risk to go, right? And so what, what this, I think that metaphor of the dog is like saying like, hey, spirit, I call him spirit dog. Spirit dog is, hey, I see you we see you. We all know this is happening. Now you could let your ego continue to block your process or you could just be open to the process. And instead of battling it, go with it and see what's on the other side. I'm not doing the work for you. I'm just presenting you another path to to get what you want, which is your healing however you have named that for yourself. And I think it's really important that it's a swamp. (laughs) Like it's not something that everybody wants to go into, you know, like this is a place that is muddy and smelly often and gross. (laughs) Um, And I think that's an apt metaphor. It's like, I don't want to go there, but sometimes you do like the, the, it's the, the cave you do not wish to go into is the cave you must enter. Right. That's going into the star Wars situation. Yoda. I don't think that was Yoda, but you know, isn't it Yoda? To Luke, you must enter the cave. No, no maybe. That, sure, that feels that feels very Yoda, but I don't know. It's been a while. I'm on anime right now, so I've got to go return. <laughs> Star Wars is not my territory. I should stay out. Anyway, um, I am thinking about an uh another through line that I'd I'd like to visit if possible. I'm thinking about, you know, we talked about Katara's language and words. I'm, I want to visit Tenzin for a minute. There, there are two moments where Tenzin has words with, with, with Korra. And the first one is 
hey, I don't want you to have to worry about anything in Republic City. We got it handled. I handled this. Here's how. I handled this. Here's how. Uh, you don't have to worry about anything. You just focus on recovery, right? And then later, when they meet again, uh, Cora is like, I can spar. Watch me fight. I got this. And then she doesn't. She's not able to follow through. And Tins is like, there's no shame in taking the time you need. And he goes on to say a few more words. And it's really interesting to me because I hear judgment in Tenzin's language. Um, and the, the first instance is I'm taking things off your plate so you don't have to is one of those things where that sounds comforting, but also like, I, I think about certain forms of therapy where like part of the recovery process is giving people responsibilities so that they have something to take care of and look forward to and create like, well, if I don't do it, who will? Um, and I'm not sure what's helpful for Cora in this moment. Clearly it's more complex than one thing. Um, but I'm thinking about this the second time too, where Tenzin's language is asserting that you will recover and be able to do these things. Right. And when you do, everything will be back to normal. So like, it seems as though Tenzin is in this framework of returning to normal as well in his language. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if that like landed, resonated for you all too. If, did you hear that differently? I'm, I'm curious how Tenzin's language landed for you. Yeah. I think one of the things that I, I, I think Tenzin represents, right. is just how sticky it is to support people when you don't know what's going on. Right. Like, and when we, and using and going kind of to your thought pattern around, different treatment models, right? This is part of my, and let me go ahead and put on my little my little foil cap. This is why evidence-based practices sometimes weaponize people's healing. Um, just because something is kind of the standard way of healing doesn't mean that healing is gonna work for that particular person. Um, and sometimes we find that we use certain treatment modalities like CBT or DBT as these magic bullets that are gonna fix everybody who has a certain type of presentation and then we work it out in the session and it does not do the things we say it does right um even someone as me who's trained in a and in, in certified in a certain type of getting certified in a certain modality even i know that that modality does not work for every single person who yeah. has a certain type of diagnostic presentation right there's a lot of different things that can help people either connect or disconnect, right? And so because of that, I can't use this kind of like standard kind of like, well, take all the time you need because you'll get better because again, the roadmap gets sticky, right? I think even from a good place, we have to be careful about how we dictate what healing and recovery looks like on the other side for another person. So, because that expectation is the main thing that is keeping Cora chained during this entire healing process is trying to chase this poisoned avatar state. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, my, my last thing is potentially a, a, a big old can of worms. So forgive me, but I, I am going to do it anyway. Um, I have been grappling recently with, um, 
the violence of cure, of recovery. And thinking about um, recovery expectations and cure as having um, really problematic um, surrounding things that are all around it. And, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of context. Um, when I think about um, the United States in particular, and even North Carolina, where I am from, there is a lot of history around uh, eugenics. Um, and eugenics is a really interesting concept for those of you who may not be aware of it, who are listening, but it's essentially like this faux scientific process of I'm going to cleanse the human race to be uh, perfect. And the way we're going to do that is by, you know, saying that anybody with disability, anybody with that is poor, anybody that is gay, anybody that is black, anybody that is non-white, heteronormative, et cetera, name all the, the, the things. How do we get rid of them so that in three generations we can cleanse everything? And it was the same motivation behind like Hitler trying to get rid of the Jews and the Holocaust. And in a way, that was seen as a form of cure of I'm going to make things better. I'm going to help things, quote, return to what it should be or mold it and shape it into what should be. And that is on a mass scale. And if we shrink that down, anytime we think about curing something, we are talking about eradication. We're talking about how do I get rid of this abnormality? And the reason the recovery process is often so grief-filled is because we are now trying to eradicate disability. We're trying to eradicate Cora's experience of who she is at this point. We're saying that that's not okay. And we need to make sure that we erase any form of person who is struggling, right? We need to get them to a point where that's not okay, where, where they are, quote, okay. And I'm really kind of leaning into the complexity here because like, I like being healed. I like feeling like I'm well, but also the world is not always that tidy, right? There are people who are struggling, who have disability who are struggling and the world is not built for them and we're constantly trying to cure disability and if you talk to for instance you think about the autism community um people would say that they're doing just fine right i am okay doing exactly as i am and yet there's a whole host of people who are trying to quote cure autism and thus eradicate autism right and so it's anyway all of that to say is i have a really complicated relationship with cure because um because of this because of what it does to our expectations and our societal thought processes around difference um and so i i'm curious in this reflection of this episode, this was very present for me. And I was like, what's being erased by pushing Cora to recover? And I'm curious what that kind of opens up for, for both of you in terms of all, all of that. That was a lot. And, and I'm sure most both of you have probably heard of at least part of this at some point, but um, thoughts? <laughs> I mean, so one of the things I, I hear in that is, is it almost returns to that initial issue that we had with uh, the definition of recovery, which is return to a normal state. 
Um, and so instead, it's not maybe a return to, but like it's almost like assimilate to the societal normal state. Um, and that's that's what's deemed as acceptable. That's what's deemed as you're cured, um, as opposed to our ideas around. No, like you get to you're there's, there, you just want to like do you to be the best you and what that looks like and what healing is, is going to look different to every single person. And so if you're in, if you are trying to, all right, I'm because I'm not the expert here. And so I think I'm wording just my feelings on it. The idea around we're going to cure you or we are going to cure this thing versus we are going to create the best environment for you to be able to navigate your own healing process to the best of your ability, I think are two very separate things. Uh, and the front is what I hear when I hear like, we're going to cure this versus like, what I view is the way Katara is kind of like, Hey, I can, I can guide your healing process. I can be a part of it, but I can't do it for you. Can't and, and take that even a step further. Like I can't even define that for you. Um, and so I think that's uh, intent as much, you know, there's always an argument of like intent versus impact and impact is certainly important, but sometimes intent is important as well. Um, and so I, you know, ultimately I think that's, that's what it brings up for me when I think through this process. Yeah, I think, and I think part of the challenge, right, is that our, our language is so limiting, right? This goes back to like, you know, trauma in and of itself touches a piece of the ineffable for me. Like there's just a part of how I understand harm and violence and trauma that I can't there that language just has no words for it is it's a soul wound right there's just it's it's a sigh <laughs> it's a it's a it's a exhale it's a cry it is visceral it is carnal and is ineffable and so even when we're thinking about cure and healing there's a part of that that just is limited because of the language um and so as we are thinking about, you know, stuff, everyone has different definitions of what that means. For Cora, it I think it is tied to that first definition. I got to get back to who I am. I gotta, I gotta get up. I gotta be a fighter. I've gotta, I gotta connect to the avatar state because I got heads to roll and I got people to save, right? And and also in this kind of invitation with Katara and even with the spirit guides, right? The question is, cure is curiosity, right? It's who are you now, right? And what do you need now in order for you to feel connected, to feel care, to feel support? Um, I... And in that, there's there's a tension, right? About what does that end up looking like or meaning in real time? I think, I think we all want at its our core to feel something familiar. And if we have fundamentally shifted and changes, it is not easy to be strangers to ourselves. Um, and also, society makes it almost inherently impossible for us to not have moments of in familiarity we have 
Facebook memories and Instagram memories. We have, you know, kind of like everything is stored, everything is curated. So it's harder and harder to teach people because we have these curated expectations about who we are. And the minute we step out of those expectations, we have to rebrand ourselves all over again. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's reminding me of the the quote, um, the Heidi Pride, Heidi Preeb, I always say her name wrong, uh, quote where when we when we love someone, what we're basically saying is we're committing to attending all of the funerals of who they have who want who they were, right? And as we invite people into change and being in relationship with them they become something new. And with that is the the grief and loss of who they have, who they once were is, is lost. And that's what kind of love is, right? It's the acknowledgement and, and commitment to the process of, of change and want, being willing to walk with you through that change. And I butchered her quote, but it's a pair, I guess I'm paraphrasing it. Um, yeah, it's just really interesting. And you know, just briefly, it's reminding me of the the difference between the various quote like models that we, people utilize, like the the medical model of like you have you have cut, I heal cut, you now fixed, um, and like it's again this return is the medical model using that language, and then there's like social models, and then there's there's a bunch of models to consider, but often in our culture, especially the medical model is the predominant framework of this, this return. Like what you are hurt and you need to recover. And that's the expectation versus, Hey, you're hurt. You are still perfectly enough and lovable and exactly who you need to be in this moment of pain than you were when you were not. And I think that's the, that's the message that I think is missing is you are perfectly acceptable and not only acceptable, but welcome in your pain, just as you are when you are uh, in your eyes healed. Um, and I, and I think that that's, if there's a message that I could convey to people is that even in this pain, like I just want Cora to know, <laughs> like I just want to sit down and talk to Cora and be like, listen, <laughs> you are still lovable and the world cares about you and your friends care about you. And I care about you even in this moment right now, you know, like I just, that's all I, I just wanted to know that. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I often thought what, what would I do if Cora was sitting with me for therapy this episode? And I, and I think if I was Cora's therapist and I was at the swamp waiting for her to show up, right? Um, which Toph kind of ends up being a, a version of that. Um, I think I would just ask her, you know, I think I would allow her to be angry. I think part of this is allowing her to have a container for a rage where she has no worries about what the consequences of that rage looks like. Of course you're angry. It makes sense that it you're makes sense. Be angry. Yes. It's healthy to be angry in the face of what you've experienced. Mm -hmm. Like it is okay. You have gone through worlds and worlds and worlds of just 
undue pressure for such a young age because I think we often forget Cora is still a teenager in the midst of all of this my high school mind could not manage season one season one I would have been done right (laughs) it's actually interesting I think at the uh, went at present time she's in her 20s right 21 21 Uh, at the start so three years ago she was whatever you know um that's 19 19 yeah 21 19 i can count she was she was what 16 at the start of season one yeah so you know over the like so like but even still like our brain is still not fully developed y'all i'm struggling with all this right like mid 30s i'd yeah i'm still like it's it's trauma Mm-hmm. Over and over again, over and over again, Cora is dealing with all these things and never really coming to solutions in her own healing for for season one or for season two. That's what I was. And say. now an assassination attempt. Like, you, what are we and, talking about? And like, honestly, Cora has never had a childhood. Let's keep it funky. Yes. Cora, Cora found out very early that she was the avatar and has been adultified her entire life with the expectation of you are an avatar, you're not a human. So even, and often I say like, when folks have gone through any adverse childhood experiences and, you know, Ben, you know this from from, um, social work, like the earlier the introduction of trauma the shorter your capacity for for recovery and resilience is. And also you are stuck in an emotional arrested development. So whether or not you are 25, you mentally and emotionally are still responding like a 14 year old. Because yes. <laughs> that's the start. That is when you started to learn and create these pathways for processing harm um and therefore it is not just adult you reacting to these things this is childhood you reacting to these things this is teenage you reacting to these things which is just inviting us all again again to like ask the question when we are confronted with people who are making what seems to be bad decisions in our lives it's why would a reasonable rational decent human being do this and the answer is trauma <laughs> because, like, like it's probable trauma whether they repressed or otherwise but like just what what is a story that would allow for them to be snarky in this moment and be like probably maybe they're hungry angry lonely tired maybe like there are so many things that this is just inviting us to provide generous assumption and we i just it's so easy to forget that it's so easy i do it all the time (laughs) oh gosh i love this episode well and, and and so we what we we are slowly running out of time and so what are the uh so good at keeping us kind up. of the last big nuggets we want to do before we take a quick break and before we jump into our our back into the episode with gratitude and devotion and and what pushes and pulls us away uh, anything else we want to hit on from this episode specifically I just want to shout out shout out as always the queen the queen diva Toph we speak her name um 
I I aspire to be this elder when I grow up, just cantankerous and brazen and unapologetically me. Love that for us. (laughs) (laughs) Just hanging out in the swamp in a cave, living life. You know, hey, stoked to be here. Yes, burnout. Yep. (laughs) Just burnt out. (laughs) Here we go. All right. Uh, I love that little line, though. Like, good to see you again, Twinkle Toes. You're like, ah. Like that, that doesn't that hit you? That hits you like, oh. Yeah. Someone who sees me and remembers me before I. Right? Yeah. Oh, so good. Never even met him. Oh, my goodness. All right. We will jump out uh, uh, for a quick break and then we'll be right back with more talk around Portland. back we are talking tween law what is pushing us away what is pulling us in for this episode uh you can say one or, or the other or both uh but w- what are those things that really pull us in or, or push us away from this episode yes yes uh, <laughs> i feel i want to i want to push myself away uh because of how <laughs> how real it feels i want to pull myself in because of how engaging it is yeah like, all the <laughs> Yeah, the ugly sobbing that was produced by rewatching this episode <laughs> is something that pulled me away because wow. Um yeah, I think one of the things that I think kind of pushed pulled me in um was just the earnestness of the spirit world. Like I'm always standing these little creatures. I don't know what it's about. I don't know why. I just, they're so pure. Um, And something about the purity and earnestness of like, hello, friend. Like, they're not demonizing you. They're not, they don't have any of the outside chatter of like, you ruined Avatar because you killed the Avatar state. Like, you know, you don't hear the fandom in the voice. You just hear purity. And I just, I needed that. I needed soft, gentle invitation to just exist and ponder and figure it out. And I think that was probably one of the most beautiful parts of this episode was just her interaction with the spirit world and the spirit guides, you know, being just subtle and invitational and non-judgmental, just unconditional positive regard. Love that. Isn't it amazing how that we get so many examples of what it just looks like to be inviting and say like there's no preconceived notions like hey do you want do you want some tea, you know we I row all the time hey I don't know you let's drink some tea or hey come hang in the spirit world with us and there's nothing else that's there it's just hey and you know the ability for me to sit there and be like hey let's just go get dinner <laughs> uh, whatever just let's just go eat right like there's such a model that is set for us on what it looks like to just invite someone in and how powerful that can be. Yeah. Um, I think what pulls, I think Cora pulls me into this episode because I think like 
I don't know if there's a character that can capture uh, a generation uh, more than Korra in the way that she, like that try and acknowledging that trauma exists and acknowledging that that navigating trauma is hard and still being strong and still being uh, beautiful and uh, worthy of love. And all of that is trapped into, and we throughout this entire series, we just get to see that over and over again with Korra. And so um, getting to, to see her struggle, I think allows a lot of other folks to be seen. Um, and I think that just speaks to the power of this episode, but also this cartoon as a whole. Mm-hmm. You don't see this. Like, I can't think of another cartoon that does this like this. It's like, it's so good and it's so real. And I think that's, it's just like, I'm, I'm mind blown every time I rewatch it. I'd forgotten. I forgot like how good this was until my rewatch. I'm just like, oh my goodness. I'll say it again. Korra's better than Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, I honestly, like, I'm like, hard agree, hard agree. Hard agree. Hard agree. And last <laughs> good. Like it's so good. It's so good, but woo! yeah. Huh. Uh, my queen. My queen. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I one of the things that is that we haven't really talked about that I feel really pulled by is I really love the letter writing amongst friends. And I I, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for a handwritten note. And you know, this this world doesn't have like text and email and things along those lines. And even so, even with all of that, I guess that even that just makes it that much more um, important, I guess, just to to have that community, to have those those notes is just really beautiful, especially when Core is not writing back. Right. Like, it's just it's a, it's really lovely. And I'm just like, oh. I, I I hope that I can remember that and who needs a note right now? Like that's what like it's reminding me, inviting me into that. Well, and even just the moment of like, I don't know what to write. So the the weather's nice. Uh it's currently oh. this time at this yes. day. Like I it's just connection still. And so even though it doesn't always have to be this eloquent, thought out, yeah, you know, wonderfully dictated connection piece, sometimes it can just be like, yeah. The weather was cool, I'm but thinking of you. I'm thinking of you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then yeah. I I don't know that I felt too pushed away. I like I there are certainly like I don't like, you know, I don't love that like Cora's going through all this pain, but like at the same time, that's like that's what was precisely what was pulling me in. What you know, and it's it's hard because I I guess the I love Toph too. And I also struggle with Toph, right? Mm-hmm. I, the the cantankerousness is one of those things where I'm like, oh, that's so you. And I'm like, is there, is this the way? And so I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder about that. And so it, I, don't, I don't know if it pushes me away, but it makes me think. Toph would oh. never be my mentor or coach mm-hmm. by choice. I, that's not my learning style. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Toph, as much as I love Toph and I'm I was like very excited, it it definitely was a little bit of a push away because Toph to me represents burnout. Like just Yeah. It's just and being a therapist in this age and 
seeing so many of our like colleagues and professional people being so burnt out, it just reminded me of what it's like to be a mental health professional at this day and age and how, how we are, you know, how sometimes our rigidity um, can be a barrier. Um, And sometimes, and sometimes it can be a, a help. Right. But um, something just, I, all I saw was burnout and I was like, Ooh, this is going to be a rough couple of episodes of trying to translate this experience. <laughs> yeah. My one push away, I think, and it's not because it's not real and it's not because it's not, uh, like warranted is, is the snapping at Katara. And I, I, you know, um, and the reason I think that's a push away for me is because when I do that, that is a signal to me um that something's not right and also those types of moments in my life are the probably the ones that give me the most shame and regret and and so witnessing that is very real and at the same time is like uh, like i almost feel so much like regret for cora in that moment um but it's just and i think that's just because when if i do those things it's, it's just an overwhelming feeling of shame ends up popping up so um but very real. Oh, we did it. Okay. Well, let's jump to devotion. Uh, water is the element that we are looking through recovery. And so, um, here for water. What is your, what is your, uh, thing? What is your, your weekly goal or, uh, uh, in regards to the lens of recovery and the element of water? Yeah. Um, this episode has caused me to reflect on what is poisoning my wells. Um, I have been navigating some just regular, regular processing of like, you know, care and kind of doing some inventory work. Um, I'm coming up on, uh, as I come closer to a trauma anniversary, I find myself being more pensive. And so had something that recently has triggered, you know, elements of my PTSD. And so one of the things that I've been called to reflect on, right, is like, what are the, what are the things that have poisoned the wells of like things that I find sustainable? Um, and so being in flow with myself and understanding that so that I'm not fighting these things that are coming up for me, but actually understanding them and making meaning and embracing these aspects of my story so that I can still be in flow and in, in, in movement with my life. So some reflective work, some, a lot of recovery work of reclaiming. I'm in my, in my extra nerd era. Um, we are watching anime. We are watching D&D campaigns. We are reclaiming certain narratives that I've told myself I couldn't do um because of you know trying to be considered desirable i am leaning fully into my nerd era um join me welcome am, <laughs> yes as i'm also as i also am entering in what i call my glass era which is i am delicate i am breakable mm. but i'm if but if you break me i'm coming for blood and that is a very <laughs> new place to be in um how to treat people how to teach people to treat you with care yeah. and know that the lack of care has consequences now. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Oh, Sunshine, what about you? Well, it's uh, one of the things that this episode got me thinking through. Uh, 
so I'm thinking of like a river, right? Something that is shaped over time and different experiences. And like a river goes in directions based off of so many factors over millions of years uh, that have created this path that it has gone on. Um, and when things like rain happen or uh, something that might cause like a flood, the river's going where it goes because that's the fl the natural flow. It's not choosing to do those things. Um, and so I think as we are talking about giving grace and uh, lacking judgment in the way that we experience the world and the people that we're going up against is understanding that when people are recovering, that a lot of this time it's it's the flow of the river's they're shaped by experiences it's not a choice right it's not a choice to navigate and so uh we can have tools that help us navigate floods better or be protected from floods or have floods not harm us but at the same time um a flood is a flood and and so i think that um recognizing that we don't need to change uh folks or to cure folks or to um get mad at folks for those things or ourselves when those things happen, but uh, recognizing that that's just a natural flow. And so I think for me, it's, it's really checking judgment um, in myself for myself, but also for the people around me uh, as, as we all navigate trauma and experiences to the best of our ability. And so that's kind of where it led me. I love that too. Cool. Um, I, I think I'm getting a little existential in my thought about water here. Um, and it, I'm, I'm thinking about the water cycle and just thinking about how, you know, also I have a glass of water here that I'm drumming from. And this is like, this is my water. And then I'm sure you have some, you have like a little water, water bottle and you're drinking your water. And I'm like, that's my water. That's me, but that, that's you. But like water is water. And when it evaporates, it's all going to join and be as one. And it's going to come back and I will have different water and it will, but it's still my water, but then it's still your water, but it's still water. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this, this cycle of identity that water has that sometimes it is liquid. Sometimes it is gaseous. Sometimes it's solid. Um, it changes locations. It's constantly moving. And I'm thinking about how often I am so attached to who I am in any specific moment and attached to what I know I can be. Like I'm seeing myself as this beautiful ice sculpture that has been crafted and cultivated. And I realize that I forget that that's going to melt. And like, <laughs> unless there's a ton of energy that's keeping it that way. And I'm just like, how do I become more comfortable with being adaptable like water? How do I become more comfortable when I, you know, break that I will melt and that will be okay. And I will just be in a different form and I will still be water and I will still be me. Right. And it, I, I, how do I like learn to navigate that acceptance? And, um, that's really, that's, that's hard for me. Cause I have like, my whole thing is like, I am, I am constantly trying to self-improve and, I'm trying to like, how do I check that a little bit? Um, and so that's something that I'm I'm thinking about in response to this episode, because rather than like, how do I <laughs> recover? It's more like, how do I realize that I don't need to, 
you know, that, that I, that I am and I will be, and that, and I eventually won't be. And there we go. <laughs> um, so I guess that's just, I think that's just going to require me to sit on that and think and really save some, some time specific to, to thinking more on it, um, rather than taking a specific action. Um, I think that will be my, my meditative process. Over that's so bad. Yeah, existential crisis, y'all. A lot of reflecting going on this uh, <laughs> this week for us. <laughs> the episode demands it. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's finish up with gratitude. Who are we thankful for uh, in this episode? Always spirit dog. We love spirit dog. <laughs> <laughs> Trick me into healing. I know that's right. I. <laughs> have so much gratitude for that little nugget of a spirit oh uh just so pure every time I'm I'm like oh I think I've I think I've said at least anytime I'm on here and it's about the spirit world I'm like I'm just so grateful for the spirit animals like it's yeah. just just purity that's all I have to say spirit dog mm, I love it Ben what about you I I like Cora yeah <laughs> like i like I, I i'm so grateful more than i have ever been i think in a prior episode for cora because you know we have a window into to cora's life here that is like i feel better having watched this like i i, I have learned i have grown and and it's not just that from from doing the podcast either i think that when i watch this episode without the critical lens it is very healing to watch and i'm just really grateful for for cora and i i'm not grateful that she went through these things but i am i am grateful that we got to walk with her through this experience it just occurred to me how much, and I, I don't think we lifted this up earlier, but how often she is fighting what she thinks she is fighting is not actually what she is fighting. Mm. Uh, and I feel like there's there's a learning in that. Uh, so not to dive in deeper, but I feel like that's like, there's certainly a learning in that throughout this episode, but she brings so much uh, and I think allows for a lot of us to be seen um, through this episode. Yeah. Um, my gratitude goes to Katara. I think there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom that get dropped and a lot of them come from Katara, whether it's the uh, I can guide your healing process, uh, but, you know, it's up to you or she even uh, so real of the, your body thinks you're still in danger. Right. Like you're like, which yes. you're just like, oh, like those are such real things. Um, but my favorite part of Katara from this episode was Kors asking questions and Katara, Katara says, I don't know. But it's gonna be interesting to find Ew. out. But she says, I don't know. And I love when people recognize that, like, I don't, I don't know. Ew. Um, because there's I think there's such some of the smartest people in the world, some of the wisest people in the world are the ones that will tell you, I don't know the answer to that. And so let's go find it out. Um, and she does that. And so I just a lot of appreciation for Katara in this episode. Um, so that's my gratitude. Yeah. And if you I actually did a mini episode specifically on Katara in this uh, a while back. So by the way, <laughs> Patreon, that's still available for you. Uh, if you want to join us, BNB underscore pod, there's a, a long history of mini episodes that we've put out. We also have monthly live episodes. 
that you can join in on. We have a, a few recurring folks that really love to, to see us there. And you can find us on all the socials at BNB underscore pod. But Indira, if people want to find you, where do you suggest they look? I say follow me on Twitter at at Black Trauma Nerd, B-A-L-Q, Trauma Nerd, all one word. Um, or you can go to my landing website, www.imudofia.com. Um, I'm doing some really fun things this year. Um, the dissertation project is going to be launched, hopefully, in the next month. Keep your eyes out. I'm going to be doing some fun stuff and I'd love to dialogue with you while I'm doing it. No, I, I want to dialogue with you too. <laughs> check out Indira on all of the things. Please go follow her and, and check out all the wonderful work she is doing and they're doing. Um, all right. Coming up, more episodes as we navigate more Cora. That's right. So Woo-hoo. much to navigate. All right, y'all. I'm Sunshine. I'm Ben. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.